And we are back for an all new, all different episode of Aim for the Bushes. I'm your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. And today we're talking about doping scandals and reactionaries. Yes. So if you've been watching the Olympics, the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics, you know there's been some oh there's been some some controversy, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into this controversy in 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 just a second here, because uh, before we do, uh, you know we have our non legal legal disclaimer, which is simply that the opinions expressed by me or others are simply that our opinions. So you're free to agree with them. You can disagree with them. It's all good, but you should probably agree with them. So as we said, uh, like, uh, what, 20 seconds ago, doping in the Olympics. Doping is nothing new. I mean, we've been exposed to doping for a while now. Uh, I mean, I guess you could argue ever since there was any kind of organized competition, there's been Various ways athletes have been trying to gain an advantage. Of course, more recently, you have different kind of drugs and stuff that uh, athletes take and have taken in order to gain a competitive advantage over their opponents. You know, so we've seen this like uh, in cycling with uh, the Tour de France with Lance, Lance Armstrong uh, among others, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that were doping uh, in in uh, cycling uh, events, but you know, Lance Armstrong, what he won the world, uh, the Tour de France, uh, seven times in a row, I believe, and then you know, it came out as uh, someone who was doping. But it's not just doping; it's the whole system behind the doping, right? It's the organization and the intimidation and 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 the planning, right? In, in the deceiving and all that stuff, right? So it's a whole, it's a whole system, it's a whole structure that was created in order to enable this dope, this doping. And of course, we had uh, in Major League Baseball, we had a bunch of players taking steroids. And I know a lot of people think that uh, you know, people take steroids to bulk. I wish they do. They do take steroids to bulk. And if you're not familiar with what bulking is, it's a, um, you know, it's like when you beef up, get big, your muscles, right? So a lot of attention, at least in baseball, was around uh, batters, you know. The perception is, and I guess was, that, you know, these players would, would bulk up on steroids so they could hit you know, more home runs. And that is something that definitely happened. If you look at someone like Barry Bonds, when you look at him early in his career, he's kind of like the skinny dude. And then towards the end of his career, he's bulked up significantly. Like go and take a look at, uh, at, uh, at uh, pictures of Bonds from when he is young to when he's towards the end of his career, when he's a bit older and you can definitely see the difference in bulk. But what people don't, realize at least uh if you're not someone who's into uh weightlifting and working out and all that stuff is that what steroids do aside from uh, letting you you know gain more muscle mass to bulk uh is they actually they actually uh help your recovery time so they're able to let your muscles you know get bigger 
uh, in size, but they also uh, reduce, you know, strain on your body. So actually, like a lot of pitchers uh, would take steroids, different kinds. I mean, there's a whole different, I guess, set of chemicals that are considered steroids. But so it's not just all about bulking uh, because pitching, if you don't know, is very strenuous on your body. Uh, because the type of motion that you have to do in order to pitch, especially like your shoulder and like your your arm, that repetitive motion, right? Obviously, it's not a natural motion to, you know, throw a ball like that. And baseball players play, I think, 182 games, something like that. It's almost 200 games, I think, per season. That's not including the playoffs. So they play like a lot. That's why, uh, you know, if you're someone who's not familiar with baseball, it's why they have like a whole pitching team where they have, I, I don't know how many people are on it because I'm not a huge baseball fan, but, you know, they have like five or six type, five or six guys, you know, uh, as part of the bullpen. And uh, the reason for that is because the load and stress on your body from having to pitch during that time is a lot. So, you know, it's just not manageable for one person to pitch all those games and especially a game like baseball where there is no actual time limit. Uh, it's one of the few sports, at least organized professional sports, that has no time limit on it. So a, ball, uh, a, a baseball game could theoretically go on for three or four, five, six hours, depending on, you know, how it's going. Obviously, it could also be over in 30 minutes if, uh, you know, <laughs> every every hit is caught or something like that, right? So it's a very strenuous activity. But anyways, back to the Olympics. So uh, speaking of organized uh, doping, uh, if you remember in 2014, the Winter Games in Sochi, uh, the Russian team was found to have, or I guess I should say Russian Olympic organization, because this was like, this went all the way to the top, baby. You know, when you hear of like conspiracies, uh, like in TV shows and stuff, and they're always like, this, this conspiracy goes all the way to the top. Well, here in Russia... It went all the way to the top. They had a very elaborate plan on how to, uh, one, have their athletes doped up on different types of steroids and growth hormones and all this different stuff to make them win, obviously. Uh, it was a very complicated system where they would like smuggle out the, uh, the samples taken at the time of, uh, of testing, right, after, after events, because normally... You, you do your event and then after you're done, you have to go give a blood or urine sample. I don't know, whichever they take. And so Russia, or the Russian um, organization, anti-doping uh, agency, would uh, smuggle out the samples with clean samples, right? So they smuggled out the samples that were taken the day of and then switched them out with clean samples that they had taken prior to. And... No one knew, I believe, until one of the people who was like directing this actually like defected and said, hey, this this is what was going on. So it was a huge thing. There's been different things about it. You can look it up if it's something you're not familiar. There's a documentary about it even. And I'm sure there's a bunch of uh, news articles that that cover it. So the result was that Russia was soft banned from the Olympics. So they should have been totally banned. And this will. This will be a topic for another day, which is, you know, should we even still have the Olympics kind of thing? Just with, uh, you know, how I mean, this is just one aspect because there's a lot of stuff you can talk about with the Olympics and the IOC and all that stuff. But just here on the competition level. So Russia, you know, was found out having this massive, massive doping scheme and, you know, obviously circumventing fair play and the testing that goes into it. 
to try to ensure that everyone is, you know, playing by the rules or at least within a certain degree uh, of competitiveness, however you want to, however you want to frame that or look at that. And so obviously Russia didn't care. Right? They just wanted, they just wanted, you know, to, to, to win, right. To be on the podium, get the most gold medals, most total medals, no matter what. And so they decided, yeah, this is what we're going to do. So like I said, they were soft band. So basically they just couldn't show their colors. They couldn't have their flag and they couldn't play the Russian na- national anthem if Russian athletes, you know, made it to uh, the number one spot on the podium there. So you would think that, you know, orchestrating such a huge scandal, because we're not talking about like, oh, one athlete, this one person, you know, was able to, to, to you know, to, to fool the system, you know, on one event, right? This is like widespread. I don't, I don't know if it's every single athlete, but it was definitely the majority of athletes. And again, like, it wasn't just... Uh, we took some substance that hasn't been regulated yet, right? Because that's what happens. Part of the uh, part of this game, I guess, this this meta game of getting a, a competitive advantage is you know using something that isn't considered banned yet or can't be tested for yet, kind of thing. So it's not just that. It wasn't just oh, this is something that's not banned, but you know it's not really you know good sportsmanship to do it, kind of thing. No, no, no. This was. Oh, we're taking all the stuff you're not supposed to take and we're going to devise a system in order to make it look like, you know, this wasn't taken at all. Like I said, they're swapping out samples of like clean blood or clean urine to fool the World Doping Agency when they went to want to be, be tested at, the, at their lab, right? So they would get the samples and they'd be like, okay, look, this all looks good. It's all clean. So there's nothing, nothing suspicious or dubious going on here. But that obviously wasn't the case. So like I said, they got soft banned. So like I said, they just couldn't basically show that they are Russian. So they're able to still send delegations to the coming Olympics. So they were there at Tokyo. They were there in Pyeongchang. Uh, and they were there in this past, well, as I record, it's still ongoing. But by the time you listen to it, it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be done. But these past Olympics in Beijing. So that was the punishment. It's like, okay, well, you can still basically do everything. You just can't call yourself Russia or Team Russia or anything like that. So a lot of people looked at that and said, what the hell is that? What, what is this bull? How can you, how can you run such an, uh, an elaborate scheme? And the only penalty, basically, maybe there were fines, I don't know, but it's not that big of a deal. But the m- bigger deal is uh, how can you do all this and, you know, basically all the athletes can compete as if nothing happened, right? Because what should have happened is no Russian athletes should be allowed at the Olympics. It's just as simple as that. They should just have a ban. Now, I know it's not fair to up-and-coming athletes who obviously had nothing to do with uh, the doping scandal and all that stuff, you know. But again, like I said, this was a institutional thing. This was run by the Russian organizations related to the Olympics or Russian sports authorities, you know. This wasn't, like I said, a rogue a rogue player, a rogue, you know, lab technician. This was a state-sponsored plan. And it worked until someone said, hey, this is what's really going on. So I, I know it's not fair to people who weren't involved who then come in later and it's like, oh, I can't. But that's the only thing you can really do. 
you can only really set a punishment at an institutional level. And unfortunately, that's going to harm, you know, people who weren't involved. But that's that's the price that you pay when you set up something like that. So they should have been not been there at these like last few Olympics. There should have just been no Russian delegations that should have been allowed to go because of this widespread corruption and cheating. So I say all this to bring us to, like I said, the Winter Olympics going on now in Beijing. Because, big surprise, there's another minor Russian doping scandal in the arena of figure skating. Now, figure skating itself has a long, long history of corruption in the sport. It just does. Now, I I don't know exactly when it started, but definitely within like the last 20 years, there's been a ton of different scandals. Or I guess you could even go back 30 years with like uh, Tanya Harding and uh, what's her name? Nancy Kerrigan. But that wasn't doping. That's just... Again, just scandals in general, not necessarily related to uh, to doping. But then there was the Salt Lake City 2002 when the Russians won, but really the Canadians won. But the judges had been paid off to say that the Russians uh, came in first, even though when you watch their performances, you know who had the better performance and who should have won that. And that was found out. And then, you know, that was corrected and all that stuff. In this current Olympics, right, in the... Uh, in the figure skating, as I said, there was a Russian skater, Kamila Valieva. Hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right. I'm not Russian and I don't speak Russian, but I think that's, that's how you say her name. Anyway, she's a 15-year-old figure skater. She is considered one of the best. I mean, the Russian skate program, just in general, is you know considered pretty top-notch. Uh, I mean, a lot, a lot of the athletics that Russians do aside, that's why it's kind of frustrating why, <laughs> why they do like these tactics of, uh, of like doping and all this stuff when, when they've always been considered like one of the top performing teams. It's like, uh, oh, especially more, I guess, at the Summer Olympics, but the U.S. is considered, you know, one of the top, top uh, teams, you know, in terms of like performance and stuff like that. Because like, this goes back to the Soviet Union, but kind of like how they would train their athletes is, you know, if you were supposed to be a figure skater, let's say, like, you were selected as a figure skater. So what you do is you would train all day figure skating, right? And that's what you did. So when you got to any kind of international competition, you're really good because, you know, they were going to make sure that you spent, like, basically your time growing up doing that activity. So you were really good. Kind of like the opposite uh, in the States and I guess in Canada where you rely like on private funding or sponsorship, which I guess is also private funding, but it could be government sponsorship if there's any kind of like government grants or scholarships or anything like that. That's how people, that's how athletes get money to train, right? They basically rely on either state funding or sponsorships. That's why they do stuff at the Olympics. So hopefully you place well or, you know, medal. That would be obviously the goal, not just for the spirit of competition, but also because it will get you recognition. It'll can get you sponsorships because people will be like, "Oh, hey, you're like a winner. We want to get behind you." Uh, you know, and and I mean, you got to be like a spokesperson and stuff like that. But basically, we'll give you money so you can continue continue training. So the Russians, you know, like I said, have a real like a widely recognized in terms of like their performance, widely recognized uh, skating program. To say the very least, like they're generally considered the favorites for for meddling or at least winning the gold. And so this girl, Valieva, uh, she's 15. 
and this gets into another thing is that the Russians do well or use a lot of like young girls as finger skaters by young girls. I mean like 14, 15, 16, uh, to help, uh, uh, further, further meddling because apparently like, I'm not a figure skater, but I was reading that a lot of the jumps and, uh, turns that you do. So like triple axle, quadruple axle, they're easier when you're younger. I don't know why, but they are apparently. So the Russians will take, like I said, they take girls while they're young, maybe guys too. I don't know, but they take you when you're young and train you. And you know, you compete when you're like 14, 15, 16 to do these kind of jumps and twists and turns and stuff like that, because it's apparently easier for for you to do it. This girl had a really good performance. Uh, I think in one of the team skates where they uh, medal, they got gold. And then in one of the individual programs, uh, she did like a really good uh, skate where she landed. I think she was the first person to land, a, at least in the Olympics, Olympic competition to land a quadruple jump. I'm not sure because there's a couple different types of turns. I'm not sure what they all are. So I don't want to say quadruple axle, although it could have been a quadruple axle, but there's a few other kind of jumps. I'm not sure the difference between all of them. But anyway, she was the first one to do that, I believe. But it was a good it was a good thing. Like I actually watched it because it gained a lot of attention. So it was on there's a clip of it on YouTube. And I watched it. I was like, basically everything she landed was like perfect. It's not like a wobble or nothing like that. So it was a good skate. But then shortly after, oh, she tests positive for this heart medication. And I think her blood work. So this raised some alarms. You know, it was quickly all over the place. Like, oh, especially because, like I said, Russia. That's the reason why we talked about, you know, the doping prior to this, right? The, like 10 minutes about doping and the Russian program for that. So it's like, okay, here we go. They're already known for having this huge doping program. And now here in other Olympics, we have another Russian athlete caught with some banned substance in their blood. Or maybe it was urine. I don't know which one. But anyways, in their body. So obviously that's going to garner a lot of attention because a lot of people are still questioning, you know, why are Russian athletes here? Like, why wasn't Russia punished uh, properly? Because many would argue that they were not punished properly. So there's been a lot of talk about that. So this is this is what we're going to, when we say reactionaries here, like at the beginning, this is, we're going to get to the reactionary in a second, right? Because obviously everyone's going to respond to this. Everyone's going to have comments. Everyone's going to, you know, put their own opinion on this, which is fine. I don't mind if you want to give your own opinion on a thing. That's cool. I mean, that's what, that's what we do here. Give our opinions on stuff. But there's a lot of different things, but this is very layered. It's very nuanced. And the way that our world works, especially like with things like Twitter and stuff like that. And, you know, I got to get the clicks. I got to get the likes. I got to be the first one on the scene. There's no time for nuance. And that's what this comes down to. So even though this news came out that she had tested positive for a banned substance, like I said, it's some kind of heart medication that apparently can increase endurance during performance and stuff like that. So it's, it's banned, like I said, it's a type of heart medication. And I don't believe she has any type of heart condition. When I first read about it, I was trying to see, like, you know, well, does she have a heart condition? That's why she's taking it. Like, I don't know. I don't know how all that works, but I couldn't find anything that suggested that that was the case. So we'll just leave that there. But um, this came, this sample came, like, it's, 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 it's weird, man, because the sample came from before the Olympics. Just that the news of this positive test was released, I think, like last week or two weeks ago from when I'm recording this. So let's say early February-ish. That's when the result of the test was revealed. 
or, you know, the test was done and then subsequently the result of it was revealed to contain this banned substance. So she had skated during the Russian championships. So this was in December. And that's when she gave the blood. I, I think it's blood. That's when she gave the sample for testing. But it wasn't actually done. The testing wasn't done till like about a month, a month and a half later, sometime in January, supposedly because of, uh, you know, that's when the Omicron variant of COVID was going crazy everywhere. So the lab got backed up and couldn't test it at the time, apparently. I don't know. If you don't want to believe this, that's, that's totally up to you. But that's what they're saying. So the, they're, the reason for this delay was because of, you know, backup at testing at the lab because of COVID. Okay, sure, whatever. So initially, once this test is revealed, uh, I believe the Russian anti-doping agency suspends her. But then once they find out that, oh, this wasn't taken during the Olympics, because when you read a lot about this stuff, some of the stuff I was reading, a lot of people were under the impression that this came from uh, a blood test or a drug test or whatever it is during the Olympics. So during the actual competition of this Olympics, she was not caught with any type of banned substance in her body. But like I said, there's confusion around that. There's a lot of people saying or thinking or assuming that it was during the Olympics, but no, it wasn't. So the Russian anti-doping agency was like, oh, okay, this happened prior to the competition. So we're going to undo like our ban. But then uh, I believe the World Anti-Doping Agency and the IOC were like, no, 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 you got to be banned from the Olympics. We can't, you know, you, you've tested positive for a thing, so like we, you shouldn't compete. So they took it to this uh, court of sport arbitration, which is like some international court that decides stuff like in, uh, on these matters. So they're like in third party to like, you know, something like the IOC and the World Anti-Doping Agency. And they sided with the Russian Anti-Doping Agency because apparently there is different rules if you're under 16. So you have, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know why, but if you're under 16, like you're considered different than anyone over 16 at the Olympics. So they said because of this, you get some kind of special status for some reason. I, I don't know. It's the first time. I've heard of this. I think it's the first time a lot of people have heard of this. So based on that, that distinction and the fact that she has not tested positive during the actual Olympic Games are like, no, she is allowed to compete. Now, this doesn't mean that it's over. The, I guess, World Anti-Doping Agency and the IOC are going to do their own investigations or they may be doing them like right now. But uh, this was just on the question of whether or not she should be allowed to compete during the games now that this result has come through. So this court sided with the Russian anti-doping agency and was like, yep, she's, she can compete. So it could still turn out that the gold medal that she won before could be, could be stripped. Uh, we just don't know. It's still too early to say on that regard. Now, so where the reactionary stuff comes in, I mean, beyond just the fact that, okay, the more Russian doping stuff, is that during the last Olympics, so the actual last Olympic Games last year, the summer games of Tokyo 2020, although they took place last year, 2021, because they were delayed because of COVID, in the US, this is where the outrage comes from. (laughs) It's comparing these two situations, one I'm about to elaborate on right now. And last year in the US, there's a sprinter by the name of Shikari Richardson. And she's a top level 
sprinter track track sprinter for the u.s and so last uh was it july could have been early july like july 1 or july 2 or it was like late june uh she ran um uh, an olympic qualifying event uh, a track event a sprint event it could have been a hundred meter sprint i can't remember exactly what it was but regardless she tested positive for thc in her system so uh marijuana slash thc is a banned substance so obviously if you have it in your body you are eligible to be banned and so that's what happened i mean they do have an allowance for residual thc to be found in your system it's uh, i forget what it is parts per millimeter certain grams per milliliter allowance so it's like oh because i think it takes like a month or something like that for it to leave your system so you know if you smoke like a month ago it may still like be in your system, but it was like, oh, I didn't actually smoke, uh, you know, during the event kind of thing. Right. So it's to allow it's to allow for the long, relatively long, I guess, time that it stays in your body. So she was banned by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. Uh, she admitted to taking it and she did some kind of counseling program to reduce her ban to one month, because uh, if you don't do this program, and I guess if you don't fight it any longer or whatever it is, because I don't know how long it takes for appeals and different processes to play out, but uh, it takes a normal ban is three months. But if you if you take this counseling program, it's one month. So because it took one month, it made her ineligible for the 100 meter competition at the Tokyo Games. But it still allowed her to partake in the 100 meter or was it 400 meter? I think 100 meter four by four relay. But the U.S. track and field decided not to choose her or select her for the team anyways. So she didn't go to the Olympics at all. Now, obviously, had she not had any THC in her system, maybe she would have been selected. Maybe she would have been selected for the track team. She would have been able to compete for the 100 meter event in Tokyo and most probably the 4x4 relay. But that didn't happen. So... A lot of people commented, and she commented herself. It was probably sparked by her because she was saying like, oh, so one person gets caught with a bad banned substance and they're allowed to continue competing. And another person is caught with a banned substance and they are not allowed to compete. And, you know, one is, you know, a white girl and one is a black girl. Because if you see a picture of Richardson, she's... You know, she's she's known for her her uh, I don't say wild look, but she has she has a look, you know, she's got, uh, you know, long nails and she's got colorful long hair. Not sure if it's a weave or not, but probably a weave, but who knows, whatever. But she has colorful hair and long nails and kind of like a look that you wouldn't necessarily associate with someone who sprints. This is not any shade towards her or anything, but, you know, it's a a distinctive look. It kind of like what sets her apart, at least visually, compared to other track runners. You know, so after she tweeted this, I read a whole bunch of articles of people denouncing, oh, the racism. The racism in, in this, the fact that, you know, the pretty white girl has to continue, but the black girl doesn't. Now, I will admit there is, you can find racism in this situation. There probably is racism impacting, you know, the different decisions here. But it's not how people have been framing it. It's not a simple, well, you know, one person's black, so, you know, they get a harsher punishment. That does exist in the world. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But in this particular situation, this is not 
what happened here because we have a whole bunch of different institutions and organizations that are instituting slash not instituting, you know, these, these bans or, you know, limiting comp, uh, someone competing in the games, right? This is not a, a, uh, fair comparison. You can't direct, uh, you can't compare them head to head because these are not the same situations. And this is when I say, when I say there's no, uh, there's there, when I say there's a lack of nuance, this is what I mean here. Because if you just do a broad stroke, oh, you just look at the end result. Well, at the end of the day, one person could compete with a banned substance and one person could not compete with a banned substance. What's the difference? And I'm like, okay, yes, I, I, I understand that. But there is more to it because it's not the same institutions that are doing the banning here are preventing someone from competing in the games or not competing in the games. Right. In Richardson's case, it wasn't the IOC. She wasn't banned from the Olympics. There was nothing that said specifically she could not compete in Tokyo. Right. The IOC did not come out and say, oh, you're banned from competing at uh, the event. Right. That was the U.S. anti-doping agency that said you can't compete or that not that you can't compete, but that you're banned for having a banned substance in your blood during a uh, or maybe urine, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what they take in your body during an event. That's also one difference. One is that uh, one was during an event, during the actual competition, Olympic competition, because this, uh, this was for Olympic trial run or Olympic qualifiers. Now, like I said, there is racism that, that can be found in this situation. I'm not denying that. Like, if she were like a white dude, I feel like, it wouldn't even be an issue at this point. It would be like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, not a big deal. You could still compete kind of thing. You know, or they'd grant leniency or whatever because, or they'll make an exception because, oh, you're cl close, close enough to the actual start of the Olympics that, you know, we don't want you to miss. So, yeah, we'll let it slide this time, but don't do it again kind of thing. Like, that's what I could see happening. And that's something I could see working against her because she's not like a white dude or a pretty blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. Not to say that she's not pretty, but, you know, just following the stereotype of like a pretty, pretty, like I said, blonde hair, blue eyed girl. Right. Like some exception can't be made because exceptions get made all the time for people. Right. You say, oh, OK, well, you know, you know, we'll, we'll do your band for like two weeks instead of instead of a whole month or whatever. Or, you know, we'll just say, uh, you know, you come in and you apologize. And say, ah, yeah, sorry. I won't do it again. Because the reason why she said that she had it was because her I think it was her mom that died. And it was obviously that's a very, you know, traumatic, upsetting thing. So she said she smoked to, to co help cope with that loss, you know, of uh, someone who was obviously, you know, close, close to her. Right. But like, like I said, this wasn't a decision by the IOC to say that, oh, you can't compete at the Olympics. This was the U.S. It was a U.S. institution that instituted this ban. And it was the U.S. track team that decided not to take her. Now, I, they, I, I read somewhere that. The, the whole weed smoking incident had nothing to do with it, but I'm not sure because this, this was a comment. I tried to find like an actual newspaper thing, but I couldn't find like any news source saying that that was the case, just that they weren't going to select her. They didn't, I couldn't find anything saying why they didn't select her, if it had to do with the, with the ban or not. Because like I said, she would have been eligible for the relay, but not for the actual individual 100 meter race 
But again, see, these are American institutions that instituted that. They didn't have to. Like I said, they could have just said, given her exception. They could have given her less time. They could have, okay, we'll let you serve it after the Olympics, your one-month ban. They could have done whatever they wanted to, really, but they decided not to. So, but it's, so it's not the same comparison because for Valieva, the Russian thing, because we already know that the Russian organizations don't care about doping, right? It wouldn't surprise me. If at the end of whatever investigation happens, they find out this was another scheme concocted by Russian institutions to, you know, give their athletes an unfair advantage, an unfair competitive advantage. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case, because we've already seen the links that they'll go to to do that, to have people doping. Right. So this is the the Russian thing, not caring, the Russian anti-doping agency, not caring. The U.S. one was like, yeah, we have to follow the rules. Again, you could always argue about selectively, okay, when do we when do we enforce the rules? Okay, but that's a different thing. Generally speaking, though, unless something comes out, there there is no large state sponsored plan by the American, you know, Olympic agencies or, you know, related agencies to mass dope and deceive, you know, world authorities uh, about the, the the doping status of of their athletes you know, as in having banned substances in their body, right? There's no large-scale plan of that happening. Yes, certain individuals have been found to have, uh, you know, banned substances. You know, that does happen. But like I said at the, at the beginning, that's different from an institution, you know, having a system in place to get around, you know, doping regulations or knowingly deceiving, you know, world, you know, testing organizations you know that ensure the you know the fairness of competition between all all athletes from different parts of the world completely different right the approach here so obviously we've seen the russians they don't care they will they will do it they will do it and they will probably keep doing it if all that happens is oh you just can't fly your flag or show your colors or technically technically call yourself team russia or something like that right that's not a punishment (laughs) that's nothing that's like okay fine whatever sure so we'll do this thing and no one will say anything, and so we'll just keep doing it, probably. That's what I'm going to guess. Right? But in this instance, because like I said, I've read a bunch of articles saying, arguing that it's not fair. Or, you know, this is special treatment for one, one you know, group of people and not for another group of people, right? The, this girl gets a pass, but this other girl doesn't get a pass. One happens to be white, one happens to be black. So we see how black people are treated. But I'm like, this is different. Different institutions. Like, we're, we're talking, like, different countries. You know, you can't say, oh, well, this person got treated this way in this country but got treated like each country or each region of the world is going to handle their stuff differently like i said the ioc wants to ban her right but they the this court of uh this international court of of competition was like no she is allowed to because she's under 15 or under 16 i mean and apparently you have special special status uh, with regards to this kind of thing, I don't know why. I can't explain why that 15 is the magic number here. But that's the difference, though. That's why she's allowed to compete, because an outside authority said that she can. Uh, like, the IOC wants to the wants to ban her. The World Anti-Doping Agency wants to ban her. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, we find out if this ever comes to light. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Russia's already, like, paid off whoever in this court ruling or arbitration ruling, whatever it is to see that their athlete doesn't suffer in terms of being, in terms of being able to perform, you know, 
So like I like it's different. Like I said, it's different institutions that are doing this banning. Like so, you can't really compare them. If the IOC, for example, was the one to say that for Valieva's case, oh yeah, okay, we'll let you compete. Sure, whatever, no problem. You had a banned substance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a technical was before the Olympics, but you know, still banned. But whatever, we'll let you compete. And then you know, last year with Richardson, when like, oh, you have a banned substance, technically also before the games. Although for an event for the game specifically, but whatever, you know, but we're going to ban you because you got to follow the rules. You know, then I would get the outrage people would have towards this by saying, well, how, how can you look at one person and say, yo, you can't, you can't compete, but then look at another person and say, oh yeah, it's all good. Don't worry about it kind of thing. And it's just like, like I said, it's different institutions. It's not the same thing. And so I guess just before we, we end for, for today on this discussion here is that, uh, you know, this probably has taken a huge toll on this poor girl, uh, Valieva. I'm sure it took a toll on Richardson, but Richardson didn't go. So, you know, she didn't actually compete. So, you know, that's a, another different here is that she, Valieva in this case, continued to compete, but her remaining performances in the skating program, like she was not particularly good. Uh, and I think just the pressure of, uh, you know, the scrutiny from the attention of all this, because I doubt, you know, you're 15, you're 15. I'm not sure how much say you have, you know, you're not some huge person, you know, you're not some, you know, legendary, you know, like Usain Bolt or something, you know, this, this big mythical figure that you've competed in, you know, three Olympics, you have world and Olympic records, you're like a well-known for you're like, you know, she's like 15 year old girl. I don't know if this is specifically her first Olympics or not. Cause I'm not sure what the minimum age is to, to be allowed to, to compete. So maybe cause I'm trying to see when I've seen like Olympic stuff, I'm trying to think there's sometimes some young, some young athletes that go there that are like 13, 14 who have competed, but I'm not, I'm not sure what the youngest age allowed is. So I, I don't know uh, if she would have competed before, but anyways, you know, she, she's, she's a young, she's a young girl facing scrutiny. And, uh, the coach, like I said, I think I mentioned anyways, if I didn't, I'm mentioning it now, but the coach of the Russian figure skating program is like known to be like a hard ass and just kind of like ruthless. So there's like a lot of like talk around, around her, I forget her name off the top of my head here, but, uh, you know, so I, as someone who's who's 15 who who doesn't know much like about the world how things operate especially like again like large institutional things like this if it turns out to be the case that this is another instance of russia you know kind of trying to dope up their athletes in order to to win medals and stuff you know this could be something that's beyond her control that you know she may not even know if it turns out if we find out exactly how she took this this banned substance you're not even be aware. They might just say, Hey, take this, take this thing. You have to take it. This is for, you know, your, your dietary regimen. Like you have to take this. So it'll help you, you know, you're just like, okay, fine. You're my coach. I trust you. Uh, you know, you guys know what you're doing. I'll, you know, so that's a lot of pressure to put on someone. Right. And to compete like that under the, under those circumstances, she probably should have not been allowed to compete just for her own. I mean, aside from the, you know, obviously having the band, thing, but just for her own peace of mind, just because, like I said, it's difficult to do that under those circumstances. Like, it's 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 a lot. Apparently, she fell down. I didn't watch her last skate, but apparently, from what I read, she fell, like, at least a couple times while attempting several jumps. You know, and it's just like, you know, if, if, if it turns out that Russia wanted to institute another kind of, like, large-scale doping program, like, you don't have any say 
in that necessarily. You know, if you're being made to, 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 to partake, you don't necessarily have a choice. So it's just kind of tough, you know, to see that. So like, I think, cause I know part of the reason why that this, uh, arbitration or this sport arbitration competition court, or whatever it's called part of the, uh, again, the under 16 rule, the special status thing is like, it's harmful to stop them from competing for some reason. I don't know why it's, this thing is vague. I haven't read anything that explained what the justification is, but part of it was like, Oh, it's not, it, it would be detrimental to her to stop her from, from competing. But I think it's detrimental for her to compete under that, under these circumstances, just in general, you know, cause yeah, it would suck if it was the case that it was an accidental type thing, but it doesn't look good, especially coming from a country and an institution and an organization that, you know, had a massive doping plan in place, a doping system in place to get around, you know, testing for this kind of thing to give their athletes, uh, you know, an advantage, a competitive advantage against others, all just to win medals at the Olympics, you know? And then, like I said, this will be a talk for another day. It's like, you know, should we even have the Olympics? Because I'm like, why do, what do you do all this for? So you just have some shiny pieces of metal that you won at a competition at the end of the day. What does that mean? You know, it's like in more existential term, like, so what, you know, who cares at the end of the day that you, that you won these medals? Who, what does that prove? But people do use these things for political, uh, you know, aims and ends and, you know, try to, you know, build themselves up to push, uh, political ideas or to, you know, distract from other things that are going on in, in different parts of the world or within a country or within a government or, or you know, a whole number of things. And, that kind of leads me to, and then of course, you know, like the, the corruption of a organization like the IOC itself, like I said, topic for another day, but all those, all those things kind of lead me to think that, you know, maybe we don't need the Olympics anymore. Maybe it's time to retire them. So we'll leave it there. Uh, you know, I've been your podcast person, Pavlo, also known as JPav, also known as Pav, also known as Pavi. Uh, so remember to, uh, you know, I want to say like and subscribe, but this isn't YouTube and I don't do YouTube. But, you know, to, to you know, leave a rating or a review if uh, such a thing exists on the platform on which you listen to this podcast because it helps. It's going to help us grow. We had been growing before our, our pause, our unintended pause. But, you know, we'll get back into it, climb up to the top. You know, that's, 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 uh, that's the goal. Remember to check out... Uh, the podcast uh, October Jones and Fish with Legs by fellow podcast people Dexter and Alex. It's now an award-winning podcast. It won a couple of awards. It won a couple of awards since our our last episode. So make sure you go check them out. Uh, you can find it wherever podcasts are found, probably where you listen to this one. So with that, everyone, please stay safe. You know, make sure you get vaccinated. Uh, music in this episode, actually, this is the first episode with music, is done by Mia Pearson, uh, the Aim for the Bushes theme, which you're probably hearing play right now. So go check her out. I know she's on SoundCloud and probably a few other platforms. With that, peace. Peace.